Before we continue, let's pray together. Father, we bless your name today. Lord, we love you. We exalt you. We worship you in this place and we lift you up. Oh God, we ask in the next few moments, would you speak to us clearly? Would you release your presence and the power and the teaching ministry of your Holy Spirit? Confront us, challenge us, change us, and draw us closer to you. And to that end, I'm available to you, Lord, to use me according to your will. Would you again stand in my body, think with my mind, and speak with my tongue? And then, Lord, you receive all the honor, glory, and praise, for you alone are worthy. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It's a great blessing to be with you here today. And we're, as a, we as a family, my wife Amy and our daughters Ainsley and Hadley, are relative newcomers to Pittsburgh. We have only just been here since the 1st of September. And we moved here at the invitation of Archbishop Duncan uh, so that I could serve as his canon for the Anglican Church in North America. And it's a great privilege and an honor uh, to serve in such a way. But uh, what was also very important for us as we were making our transition from Michigan uh, here to Pittsburgh was to find a home church. And so we're very pleased to call Ascension our home base. And you have war- so many of you have warmly welcomed our family. Uh, well, this is the service we normally attend and worship and serve. Uh, my wife, Amy, teaches in children's ministry. We're both involved in children's ministry. She teaches. And I'm in the nursery the fourth Sunday of the month. Uh, so be sure to say hello. I'm, in, I'm the guy in the gray smock. Uh, so make sure you say hello. Uh, my mother would be so pleased. Uh, she, she had hoped I would be a physician, and that's the closest I've ever been in looking anything medical. But, uh, oh, well, what can we do? Uh, but uh, This particular passage, in fact, if you brought your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Mark chapter 8, our gospel lesson for today. And as I unpack this, I would love for you if you'd read along with me, because I think there's so much in the Word today, and I don't don't want us to miss anything. And if you didn't bring your Bible, that's great. You can also look in the Pew Bible in the seat ahead of you in the rack there. It's page 820, page 820. I gave my first sermon 20 years ago, and the pastor who was teaching me how to preach and was also forming me as a disciple, a young disciple of Christ, uh, opened his pulpit to me on a Wednesday night, and he gave me this very passage of scripture. So this has a very uh, wonderful place in my heart. I will have to tell you that I believe I still hold the record for the longest sermon ever preached at that church. It was an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah, I know that's what they said too, I think. (laughs) But I was so excited, so full of the spirit, so young in the Lord. I thought, We cannot get to this passage of scripture until I first open up to you the first 65 books of the Bible. We'll get to Mark, but first let me explain to you from Genesis on. Um, I promised Father Jonathan I will be much more concise today. Amen. 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 (laughs) So let's look to the word together. Uh, Let's begin in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And again, I want to unpack some things here. And again, make sure we don't miss anything here because this is a rather difficult passage. It's, a, it's an intense passage. And uh, the Lord has been dealing with me quite a, quite a bit as uh, I was preparing for this word. And I hope this is a great blessing to you. Uh, let's look in verse 31 where the Bible says this. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Let me stop right here for just a moment. Here we have Jesus now foretelling his own suffering, his death 
for his disciples. We all worship the risen Christ, the exalted Lord, who now sits at the right hand of the Father. We'll confess that in a few moments when we come to the creed. He should be all-powerful. He should be all-regal. He should be all-majestic. But these disciples were hearing the death that was to come, that terrible, soon-to-come Good Friday, that first Good Friday. It seems that the Lord should be above this nasty business of suffering. That's for you and me to deal with, right? Why does our Lord have to deal with this? Well, our Lord's sacrifice will open the door to reconciliation to God and man. So it was a necessary cross that he had to bear. It was a necessary death that he had to die and then three days rise again. So here he is. He's anticipating this brutal tribulation and he's declaring his commitment to go all the way to the cross for you and for me. And now he's unfolding this, unpacking this to his inner circle. Look at verses 32 and 33. The Bible says this, Jesus said this quite openly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Verse 33, but turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Peter hears Jesus, and he does not like what he is hearing, this passion. Peter takes it upon himself to rebuke the Lord. Imagine that. He's rebuked the Lord. That verb used here, to rebuke, is quite striking. It occurs twice in this passage. First, to state what Peter does to Jesus. And then secondly, to describe what Jesus does right back to Peter. Rebuke means to confront and to condemn with the purpose of effecting radical change. I've been a parent for all of seven years, and I know what rebuke means now in its fullness. I spend, it seems like, a lot of time. Now, my kids are great, but I'm telling you, they have more, they're kids, right? They're a little willful. That's all right. But I seem to be doing a lot of rebuking in my house to confront and condemn with the purpose of effecting radical change. Don't do that again. That's what I do. That's what Peter did to Jesus. He had his own version of Jesus, and it did not fit with Jesus' revelation of himself that he's now unpacking for his disciples. Peter probably thought that Jesus as the Messiah was to be this figure of power because the Jews were living under such oppression by the rule of the day, and they thought, here's the promised Messiah. Things are going to be different now. Were they in for the shock of shocks? See, they were hoping for Caesar, but maybe Jewish in Jesus, you know? That's what they were hoping. Peter's Jesus would, they were thinking, hey, we're going to settle the score now because now as followers of this Messiah, things are going to be right. We're going to be in the positions of privilege. We're going to be in the place of power. We're going to be the ones who are getting the prestige. But then now the real Jesus shows up And he starts talking about suffering and death. Peter does the only reasonable thing, and he sets God straight. I do that a lot. (laughs) 
I won't ask for a show of hands. I mean, you know, but I do that a lot. I'll be the first one to admit that. Saying, Lord, did you not hear that lovely prayer composed uh, from my heart where I wanted this and you didn't do that? May I please set you straight and tell you again what I really, really meant as if maybe that will do it. Peter does that. He tries to set Jesus straight. And then Jesus comes back at Peter with that same intensity that Peter had aimed at him. And what does Jesus do? In verse 33, he says, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Notice that Jesus does not tell Peter, get lost. I would have said that. Don't you know who I am? But no, Jesus is setting for us again a pattern of humility. At least giving Peter, here, you're thinking in the wrong way. Let me adjust your thinking so you can start thinking my way. Jesus demands by saying to Peter, get back into your place that I have called you to be my follower, my disciple. Where I have called you to be, get back into place. That is discipleship. Following the leader. Following the leader. Notice also Jesus uses that name Satan. He's not saying that Peter is Satan, but he's saying your thinking is purely satanic. This is from the enemy, because the enemy is going to try everything he can to take Jesus off of his course to reconcile us back to God. Peter's plan for Jesus seemed very godly, because we don't want our God to suffer. We don't want the Messiah to do all of this stuff that we kind of are okay with. We're just used to this as flesh and bone. But this is not for God. Peter's plan seemed to be for God, but with human expectations in place of God's purposes, it is almost always the design of the enemy, and Jesus calls Peter out on it. Because Peter is playing God, and he's not being faithful to the call of God on Jesus. Disciples are called to follow and not to lead. Now, let's get to the lesson of discipleship that the Lord gives us in verse 34. Look in Mark 8, 34, where the Bible says this, Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and he said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Okay, let me stop right here for just a moment. Jesus said, if any want to become my followers, my followers, Again, that is discipleship. Follow the leader. Follow the leader. Jesus gives us these three aspects of what it looks like to be his disciple. First is denying self and taking up your cross. Deny yourself and take up your cross. This does not mean taking up a martyr complex, if you will, of saying, woe is me, check out my righteousness, everyone come see all of these things I'm going to do. In obedience to God. That is not denying yourself and taking up your cross. Self-denial is letting go of our self-determination and our self-interests. Remember that Peter had his own self-determination. He had his own self-interest. He did this and Jesus called him out on it. What Jesus had to do to correct Peter was to say, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus calls us to take up that cross. That's identifying with him. Identifying with him. Go through the word of God. Go through the gospel and see 
our Lord at work. That his heart was broken in overlooking the people of Jerusalem. We serve a God who is moved by his people. So when God gets a hold of us sometimes because we look in something in the newspaper, we watch something on television, we hear someone's story of suffering and our heart is broken, we are following the leader. Our Lord Jesus Christ, his heart was broken for the needs of his people. When those kinds of things happen to you, and it is a work of the Holy Spirit, don't ignore it. Follow the Lord's leading in that. As you obey the word, as you follow his will, no matter the consequences, God will show us a better way to continue walking in the path as his follower. And soon after this, Jesus would take his very... He would take up his very own cross for you and for me on Calvary's hill. Sometimes we are called to suffer. Sometimes we might even be called to lay down our life for a friend or because of our faith in Jesus Christ in some places in the world. This sort of verse is not humdrum, ho-hum, but this happens every day in the persecuted church. This is a reality in some parts of the world. And then thirdly, Jesus said, follow me. As we follow where Jesus leads, we're his disciple. Not from the things we associate with Lent and say, well, you know, I gave up M&M's, so I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, right? (laughs) I fasted from Facebook for 40 days. I must be a disciple of Jesus Christ. No. These sorts of self-denial, though, it opens the door so that we can be in a better place to hear and strain for the Lord's voice in these days of Lent. But then when we get to Easter, we're just like, well, you know, let's break out the ham or the lamb or whatever you happen to do in your home and say, well, wasn't that lovely? And we just kind of move on with our business. This is to get us into a frame of mind, this way of living where we're constantly denying ourselves so that our wills could be molded to the Lord's will. If we follow where Jesus leads, we're his disciple. Look in verses 35 and 36. Verses 35 and 36, the Bible says this, for those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Verse 36, for what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Let me stop right here for a moment now. If you've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, you will come to find out that the Christian life is a little bit of a paradox. If you read the word, it says to be angry and sin not. Well, I haven't figured that out driving in rush hour traffic at home outside of New York City. I know only how to be angry and sin, unfortunately. The road rage gets, gets the better of me. Here's another example where the Christian life can sometimes be a paradox. Where we try to keep our life, Jesus says, you're going to lose it. Jesus promises, look, if you try to keep your life by holding on to desires and goals that are apart from me, you will ultimately lose your life. Jesus promises, though, if you put your personal desires and your life itself into God's hands, that means you live. Jesus is longing for us as the people of God to choose him. To stop leading a life of sin and self-satisfaction. To stop controlling our destiny and to let 
him direct us into God's destiny. Look at verse 37 now. Jesus says, indeed, what can they give in return for their life? This is a challenging verse for me because I'm a hard worker. And I like to look at the stuff that I have in my life, the stuff that I get to enjoy, and the stuff I've built up, and say, I'm a self-made man. Everything I have and enjoy is because of the works of my hands. What Jesus is trying to do is get us to maybe reappraise that a little bit. (laughs) Maybe a lot. Everything that we have is an outright gift from God. We owe God everything, including our very lives. You, You know, it is possible to give God money, but to hold back ourselves. It's possible to give God lip service and to not give God our hearts. So Jesus here in verse 37 asks the question, what can a person give in return for their life? Jesus is calling us to follow him. Everything, every area of our lives being completely surrendered to him. And when we have uh, a view of that, you start seeing things the way God sees things. Let me zoom out for a moment. Let me talk about what does this mean to us practically, and then we'll close. Look in verse 38 here. Those who are ashamed, Jesus said, of me and of my words... And this adulterous and sinful generation of them, the son of man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. Peter rebuked Jesus because he didn't want Jesus to suffer. He wanted the glorified Jesus. He wanted it without the cross. He wanted Jesus without the suffering. He wanted the Jesus without the death. And he wanted all that right now. Jesus tells his disciples, he will be glorified. He will be returning with the glory of the Father and in the glory of those holy angels. Jesus is coming again. However, he will not be in that state right now, like Peter wanted. But later, what does this have to do with you and me? Well, Jesus is calling us to not be ashamed of his words in this adulterous and sinful generation. What does that look like? What does that look like? Well, let me take a step back. So many of us, I believe, are fearless, completely fearless, will do what it takes in business. I stand before you as a converted advertising person, a converted marketing rep, And for 15 years before I entered full-time vocational ministry, I was fearless in business. I would do what it took to make the sale. I would rearrange my schedule in such a way that I would be with those people I needed to be with in order to make that sale. If that meant very few nights at home or closing deals over 
dinner and drinks. I, I, do, I did all of those things. I went to every awards program there ever was, business awards program there ever was, so that I could be around my clients. I was fearless. I did what it took to get the job done. If you served our country or you do that now in the armed forces, you know what it means to be fearless in battle. You know what it means if you're a sportsman to be fearless in sports. You will make the necessary adjustments to be a success. You could be fearless in your hobbies. Many of us, like me, are fearless in our opinions. <laughs> well, what does this mean? We're all evangelistic by nature. It just depends on the good news that we have to share. Whether it's our company, whether it's our regiment or our company or a battalion, our sport, our hobbies, our opinions. We're all evangelistic by nature. It's very first nature for us. We like to talk about the good news and our accomplishments, our hobbies, our kids, ourselves. So what Jesus is saying is, look, don't be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. He's calling us to speak up about our faith in him and our convictions in Christ. So what does that look like practically? Well, I want to share with you four ways to consider how we cannot be ashamed of Jesus or his words in this adulterous and sinful generation. I'm going to give you four practical points. First, share about answered prayer. Share about answered prayer because you're thinking, well, you know, I don't have the theological training or I didn't do all that stuff and I'm, you know, I'm not sure what to say. Here's a starting point. Share about answered prayer. Let me ask you this. Has God ever moved in your life after you called on his mighty power to save? Has God ever provided for you in a way that it can only be from him? No coincidence. It was the hand of God reaching from the throne of heaven into your circumstance, and he provided. If he has, then share that. You can share about answered prayer. Here's another thing. Share about what you're reading in the word of God. You know, one of the things I love about our worship pattern as Anglican Christians is that our service is completely around the word of God. We begin our weeks together corporately as a church body in four passages of scripture. And I hope this isn't the, your only interaction with the word of God. But it's just a launching point for your week with getting to know the Lord more. But the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of this word. This is a gift to us. The word of God is a gift to the people of God. So don't you think that his Holy Spirit is going to stand behind his word? Amen. Has the Holy Spirit ever spoken to you in the pages of his word? He kind of likes to do that every so often, I found. Has he ever spoken to you and given you peace when you so desperately needed a word from the Lord? Or guidance, direction, or maybe a rebuke? I've opened the word and I've seen the Holy Spirit speak to me and saying, Luminog, you've got to cut that out. It's not giving glory to your family. It's not giving glory to me. You've got to cut that out. I've been rebuked from the word. If he has spoken to you through the word, 
then share that. Thirdly, talking about sharing about answered prayers, sharing about what you're reading in the word. Thirdly, I want to encourage you to share about this church. Inviting people to church is a very easy way, and it's a great way to share your faith. In fact, we're creating room for more people to encounter the living God here at Ascension. What is God speaking to you when you are here? Maybe God speaks to you through the message. Maybe God speaks to you when we come to the holy table in a few moments. Through the music. What is God speaking to you? Why are you worshiping here? Share that. But I want to encourage you to pray about who God would have you to invite to worship with us here at Ascension. If God has moved in your life here, then share that. Lastly, Share your faith story. You see, it's kind of progressively gets a little bit more difficult. (laughs) Share about answered prayer. Share what, what you're reading in the word. Share about this church. But then share your faith story. I find myself just walking through open doors that the living God, he just sovereignly opens them. And all I have to do is just walk through it and open my mouth and he takes care of the rest. You don't know what to say? Here's a guide. Let the song Amazing Grace guide you as to how to share. I once was lost, but now am found. How are you lost? And how are you now found in Jesus Christ? How has Jesus made all the difference in your life? How is he leading you into new life with him? If God has changed your life, then share that. Let me wrap up this message by saying this. Some of you were wondering, it's going to be an hour and 20 maybe? (laughs) Oh, you have little faith. We got here. Amen. (laughs) We got to the end. If you remember anything from what I've shared with you today, the call on our lives as disciples, what discipleship essentially is, follow the leader. Don't fall into the enemy's trap, into earthly ways of thinking. Peter did that. I do that every so often. When I start thinking things and saying things, they seem on the surface to be of the Lord. But then when you look at it, it's not really what God has in mind. The world wants us to think and to believe that there is such a thing as glory without suffering. But the Lord is trying to speak to us clearly today that there is suffering, but it will be transformed into his glory. This Lent, ask the Lord to show you those areas in your life where you need to follow more closely. He's dealing with me in lots of areas. And if you're serious about praying this, he will answer you. I believe it. So that when we come to this place again by Resurrection Sunday, we will rise with him in a new way. And not just this Easter, but at the last day. Whether God calls us home or we will rise up with him as it's written in Mark 8, 38, when Jesus comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. Amen and amen.